Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Central Seminary Podcast. Today we have our guest with us, Dr. Matt Morell. He is the president of Central Seminary, and he is the pastor of Fourth, ba- Fourth Baptist Church, the uh, the church that shares the building with Central Seminary. Um, we're joined by a couple doors, which usually are open. I'm told in the past they may have been closed, but um, same building here, Uh Dr. Matt, Pastor Matt, why don't you share with us how long you've been here at Fourth and maybe how long you've been the president of Central Seminary? Well, thank you, Jared. It's great to be with you on the podcast today. Uh, God brought our family to Fourth Baptist Church June 1st of 2008. At the time, Dr. Kevin Bowder served as the president of Central Seminary, grateful for the warm relationship that we share uh, following Kevin Bowder. Uh, Dr. Sam Horn served as the president for four years and then Following his presidency, the board of Central Seminary reverted back to the historic model of having the senior pastor at Fourth Baptist Church also serve as the president of Central Seminary. Previously, my predecessors, Dr. R.V. Clearwaters, Dr. Doug McLaughlin, Ernest Pickering, these men served in both capacities as pastor and president. And so I assumed the presidency of, of Central Seminary as well as my pastorate about six years ago now. And I'm so grateful to be able to serve in, in these ways. Could you if, you, if you had to put a percentage on it, could you say what percentage of your time is spent on the pastoral side versus the seminary side? Sure. My, my first love and priority is pastoring Fourth Baptist Church. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not an academic. Um, however, in that central seminary is housed and hosted by Fourth Baptist Church here in our facility, and because of the symbiotic relationship we have, uh, and such, there is some strategic value in having um, this this hybrid or dual role position. Uh, on any given week, I might spend ten or twenty percent of my time uh, serving Central Seminary. Uh, but if and when there is a calendar conflict or um, a an a necessary decision to make, I I lean toward my care of the Fourth Baptist Church. I'm grateful for all of the other faculty and staff uh, that we have at Central, uh, Dr. Brett Williams as our provost, Dr. John Pratt as our dean, and the rest that are able to really uh, keep all the activity of the seminary uh, in motion without me. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Let me just point our listeners to our website, centralseminary.edu, where you can find more info about the seminary itself. You can also find a page on there for our podcast. So if you haven't subscribed yet, you can use that page to subscribe. Subscribe. We also have a few uh, newsletters or emails that we send out. One is just a weekly Central Seminary update. You can find a way to subscribe to that on our website. Also is our Nick of Time article started by Dr. Kevin Bowder. And that comes out every Friday. And he, uh, from time to time, will have other uh, 
professors from the seminary writing for that. But if you want to sign up for the nick of time, that's a great resource available to you. Before we talk about the main point for today, why don't we talk about some books? Are there any books that you're reading or books that you are anticipating their release that you can read? Sure, sure. Jared, I've been uh, reading a book titled Wise Counsel. And this is a collection of letters from John Newton to John Ryland Jr. Of course, we're familiar with John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, the slave trader turned servant of God. And um, he had a very warm and close relationship with John Ryland. Of course, Newton was an Anglican. Ryland was a Baptist. And uh, there was maybe 25 years of age between them, but they were very close friends and um, Newton and Ryland in, really enjoyed some, some great deep correspondence. And this, this book, Wise Counsel, edited by Grant Gordon, is a collection of those letters. In fact, there's more than 80 letters of correspondence between the two of them. And wow. uh, as I read it, I just marvel uh, and even lament at the, <laughs> the depth of our correspondence today. It's, mm. it's maybe a, a brief email quick text, but these men of God corresponding with each other really developed just a real deep friendship. That's titled Wise Counsel. Another book I've been uh, just picked up and reading, it's, it's, it was written 10 years ago now, but it's titled Resilient Ministry, What Pastors Told Us About Surviving and Thriving. Mm. And uh, really, it was a, a project, a research project that a team of authors did uh, with a variety of different cohorts of pastors to understand the stresses and the challenges they have. And uh, I'm not yet quite finished reading it, but it's really been been helpful, resilient ministry. Okay, and that book would be helpful for our topic today. It would be, yes. In fact, very relevant. Yeah, well, our topic at hand is how to keep your pastor and what has been called the great resignation, kind of some trends that are going on right now in pastoral ministry, how to think through them, how we can maybe speak some truth to pastors who might be going through some of that, and how we can minister to church members and churches who uh, are are experiencing either a pastor who has left or they are in a place where they say, we don't want to lose our pastor, what can we do? So Pastor Matt, can you talk to us a little bit about what has been called the Great Resignation? What are some factors that you think may have contributed to the turnover in pastors right now? Uh, just talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, Jared, you know, on a, a large scale in our country here over the last couple of years, there has been an exit from the workforce. And a lot of that is due to, to COVID and the consequences there, some of the economic dynamics that are taking place. And for whatever reason, millions of people have exited the workforce. They've pivoted. They've changed careers. They're working from home. Um, they've gotten creative in pursuing other, other points of employment for a variety of different reasons. But in parallel, a similar thing is happening among Christian ministry and those in vocational ministry. And um, there's a lot of literature that, that's been generated here recently about this great resignation or this, um, this shifting of, of people out of vocational ministry. In, in fact, Barna has done some studies and has uh, assembled a, a bunch of numbers. And of course, numbers can be used to 
make the case for a lot of different things. <laughs> but uh, the, the numbers are alarming um, about those that are exiting Christian ministry, and it's, it's kind of getting the tag of, of the great resignation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's partly resignation, it's partly a reshuffling um, for a lot of different reasons, and uh, so it's something that's worth our talking about today. Yeah, and I think one of the articles that you and I looked over in preparation for this rephrased it as a reshuffling, mm-hmm. and how some pastors aren't necessarily leaving ministry or taking a break from ministry, they're just uh, changing assignments, which we're not here to say that that's always uh, wrong. Sometimes God, God leads people, uh, but uh, maybe given our culture today, it's happening a lot more, and maybe that could be a, a negative trend. Uh, how, how do you think COVID has played into all of this? Well, I, I think in a very big way. The last two years of pastoral ministry um, have been difficult. Uh, it's been a difficult decision-making environment. It's been difficult in that churches have been divided. It's been very divisive. Uh, The COVID matter, the masking uh, mandates, the the vaccine, been very divisive among churches, pastors trying to navigate the the conflicting information that's presented by government agencies as well as medical institutions um, and even promoted on social media. there have there has been decline in numbers uh, in many many cases. There's been um, maybe even financial duress because of the larger fallout, and so um, so it's been a hard couple of years. And I'm only 24 years in a, my pastoral ministry career, but I have spoken with my peers and those that are uh, well beyond me in age. Some who have even said the last two years have been the most difficult years of ministry in all of their pastoral career. Yeah, and without really getting even getting into the, the, the politics, church politics of COVID, I think all pastors have experienced the reality that the way you navigated COVID is always going to upset somebody. There, there's, there's no way out of conflict for such a volatile issue. And so many men in ministry are experiencing, well, trying to do the best job I can. Seminary did not prepare me for a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I take this approach and I make these people unhappy. Or I take this approach and I make these people unhappy. And there's there's a lot of conflict right. in churches. Uh, there's a lot of anger. Interestingly enough, uh, just last week I recorded a podcast episode with Dr. Nicholas Ellen mm. on the topic of anger. And we noted how there are just a lot of angry people in churches today. Yeah. And that could play into some of what we're talking about. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I want to be always mindful that these dynamics are not political, they're not medical, but there's a, there's a real spiritual battle that's, that's happening. And if Satan can disrupt, disturb, divide churches over any issue, in this case it happens to be some of the, the COVID thing and some of the, the politics um, that surround it, um, he can achieve victory in our churches. And uh, pastors have labored hard to shepherd flocks that are scattering or divided or in some cases even devouring each other. Mm. And um, that's, a, that's a heavy burden. In fact, I've got before me some statistics from Barna 
Barna did, um, of course, always the surveys and the polls that they are always doing. Um, a year ago, uh, 29% of pastors were seriously thinking about leaving the ministry. Okay, so that puts us in early 2021. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a year now, currently, that number has jumped to 38%. Wow. And so there is a trend, even in this last year, of um, pastors that are tempted toward uh, this great resignation or reshuffling uh, because of fatigue, maybe burnout, disillusionment, hurt, and such. And so it's it's a, a real problem. Mm. So we're talking about men who are uh, leaving ministry altogether or uh, changing changing their assignments to another church. Are there uh, are there men available to take their place? Are we facing a supply issue when it comes to pastors and men in ministry? Uh, that's a that's a great question, Jared. Uh, and and I think you as you have a pulse on on what's happening, you intuitively know that that to be the the case. There are more churches needing pastors than there are pastors to fill those pulpits. And um, this this has been a trend, I think, that certainly predated uh, COVID. It's not a modern phenomenon, recent phenomenon here in the last few years. I, I even think of Woodrow Kroll, I think, wrote a book some years ago called The Vanishing Ministry and acknowledged that there were fewer and fewer uh, men being called into pastoral ministry or obeying that call similarly with with those going to the mission field. And so um, consequently, there has been closure of Bible colleges and seminaries, and um, there is a dearth of of those pursuing pastoral ministry. And uh, we, we experience that here at Central Seminary. Often churches will call looking for recent graduates. Uh, all of our it appears that most all of our students, current students, are already placed in ministry. Our graduates are already placed in ministry. And uh, so we lack the, the, um, the names to, to provide to churches in many cases who are looking for pastors. Yeah, and I've heard varying statistics that there's maybe one, uh, one pastor for every five churches that's mm. looking, or I've heard one in one to ten. I've even heard in conservative circles like ours, one to 50, mm. where, where college or seminary presidents are, are being sought by as many as 50 churches, and they only have you know a handful of names, you know, two, three, right. four names to give them. Right. So there, there, is, there are some effects of what we see going on today. What has Central Seminary's experience been through all of this? I think it's interesting to note how we see some of this in relation to our student population. Yeah, the demographics of our, our student population have changed over the years. Back in my day, or I might even say our day, it was common for a seminary student to come directly from Bible college uh, in his early 20s. Um, but that has changed anymore. A young man might graduate from his undergrad program, $10,000, dollars $40,000 in debt, marry a girl who's equally in debt, and decide that they need to spend a few years working uh, to pay off their student loans, which is admirable. However, life then happens. The baby happens. They purchase a home. They get involved in either secular or, or ministerial vocation, and, uh, 
And so then it's some years later that they circle back, knowing that they need to tool up further uh, and and begin working on an MA or an MDiv here at Central. Uh, the average age of our students now is in their 30s, no longer in their 20s. And that's because men have circled back knowing that they need some more education. And we're grateful for that. But that is a, a shift in demographics um, and, and some challenges associated with that. Yeah, and so we're seeing men who are seasoned in ministry, in, in many cases, men who've been in ministry 10, 15, 20 years, recognizing I need more education, coming back to Central, and praise God for technology, we're able to help them work towards a degree without having them move to Minneapolis. Absolutely. In fact, that's been a game changer for us and for, for so many students is the distance education, the online what we do in a synchronous format, so every student is live in the classroom rather than binging on recorded lectures. They're part of a class discussion. They're live with a teacher, interacting with fellow students and the professors um, while remaining in their place of ministry um, around the country and around the world. And, and so, by God's grace, it's really facilitated those who are in ministry, and I would even encourage those that are listening to this podcast who might um, value some additional education. Take a class where you're at. You don't need to move to Minneapolis, mm. and we'd, we'd love to have you part of this community of learning here at Central Seminary. Yes. Yep. Uh, are there any books that you could recommend to pastors who are caught in the middle of this, who are, who are struggling? Maybe there's conflict in their church, yeah. and they're, they're not sure— uh, do they push through it, or do they look for a different assignment? Do they put sure. the feelers out? Do they get their resume together? Uh, <laughs> are there any recommended books for that, or what advice do you have for someone in that situation? Yeah, that, that's good, Jared, because I, I don't want to only curse the darkness, and I don't want to only complain or criticize about the the trends that, that are occurring. I want to encourage men and give them tools, resources, hope, um, I would I would cite uh, Kent Hughes' book Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Yes, and it's perhaps a book that needs to be read and reread and reread every <laughs> yes, other year so. in pastoral ministry. I, I think it's maybe been out for twenty or thirty years now. I think it's been updated, but Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome—that's a trap that all of us fall into. But I would I would encourage any pastor who's who's got his resignation prepared on Sunday morning. Um, or I'm sorry, on Monday morning, right? Mondays are when we all submit our resignation. Yeah. Don't do it on a Monday. Don't do it on a Monday. Now, it may be, in fact, the right thing to do. It may be in the perfect will of God that you that you need to resign or move, to reshuffle, or whatever the case. And so I, I don't want to unnecessarily burden every, every pastor um, against that. However labor through that decision with mm. counsel, be deliberate, and, um, and circle back to your calling. I love how Paul just stirs up Timothy again to remember his, his calling. And maybe it is that a pastor needs to pivot or reshuffle or step away for some period of time. But if, in fact, God has, has called them to pastoral ministry, that's not something you escape lightly or quickly. And uh, I think there's a lot, and maybe we can talk about this even going forward, what pastors can do or what churches can do 
um, to, to make that relationship endure. Yes. And I would note, I think your, I think your advice is, is good. Um, we're not saying uh, don't leave. Right. Or you can't right. leave. Right. But be, be very careful. And if you can stick it out, yes. maybe, you should, maybe you should do that. Yes. And, and uh, God will make it clear. Right. God will make it clear. And I've experienced that in my own life with certain ministry transitions. And you gave me the same advice mm. that you just talked about. You know, if you can stick it out, stick it out. And it wasn't very long after that God made it clear that uh, he was moving us on. Can you talk about maybe some some dangers in the type of ministry philosophy that says I'm going to jump around a lot in ministry? Sure. Ideally, um, from my perspective, the the fruit of an enduring ministry is the sweetest. Um, if I were to make a jump, a shift, a change every few years, and again, citing statistics of the brevity of pastoral tenure, I'm at a church for three years, I'm at a church for four years, you know, ideally God would give pastors 20, 30 churches a lifetime with their shepherds and their elders. But, um, um, you know, I've often quipped that, that the, the first year a pastor with his church, he gets to know them. The mm-hmm. second year, they get to know him. The third year, he decides if he wants to stay. The fourth year, they decide if they want him to stay. <laughs> and the fifth year, ministry can begin. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I recognize that that's, that's artificial in some sense. But uh, think about pastoral ministry in the fifth year or the tenth year or the fifteenth year yes. where you perhaps have baptized a young convert. And then you've, you've officiated at their wedding ceremony. And then you've bounced their baby on your knee. And then you've, you've uh, been at their bedside uh, comforting them through some surgery. And then maybe you've performed a family funeral for them. And over the course of those years, the depth of shepherding really can go to a whole new level. And that's what I aspire for. And uh, if the Lord would grant me that, that would be a, a blessing. Right. And I, I think the statistic keeps uh, going down. But I think recently, the latest I heard is that the average tenure of a pastor is like 18 months. Yes, I've heard those same numbers. And I cringe to believe it. But uh, in fact, uh, that may, may be true. And uh, I, I want to be careful not to throw stones you know, at those that do make... God does move his servants around. Yes. And God does have, have uh, different assignments for pastors. I, I, I mean, we could even cite the Apostle Paul, who was always on the move mm. as a church-planting missionary. Um, and so none of us would disparage the, the tenure that he spent you know, in some of those cities in Asia Minor. But I, I, I think that uh, we need to make every effort to persevere, even through seasons of COVID or division, um, even through dry spells, in season and out of season, the highs and the lows to persevere as we're able. Right. And I, I think we are acknowledging that sometimes God does move people even before they're ready, uh, but we are emphasizing the importance of, of trying to stick it out 
I know when I came to my church, uh, knowing that statistic at the time when I came, I think it was two years the average pastor stayed. I, I kind of made a, a secret pact with my wife and my and God that I can I can work through anything for five years. Yes, and I remember, and maybe this is uh, prideful arrogance, but I remember hitting year two and thought, yes, I made it year two. I'm not going to be one of the statistics for that. And in my situation, after year five, God clearly moved us on, and so I was I was happy to be able to make that sure. five year goal. That and it's just an arbitrary number, but I thought, you know, that, that's a respectable amount of time. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever it takes to stay five years, and we understand that maybe not everyone can do that. Uh, a couple books that I had written down that I wanted to acknowledge: Dangerous Calling yes. by Trip, uh, great book. For pastors or for church members, because I think it gives an insight into pastoral ministry that maybe church members don't always have. So Dangerous Calling, a book that I haven't read but it's been recommended to me is When Sheep Bite. Mm-hmm. For pastors who are struggling through some of that conflict relationship issues. Then another book that was recommended to me, Red Light, Green Light, Discerning the Time for a Change in Ministry by John R. Don't know how to say his name, Sianca, C-I-O-N-C-A, was recommended to me by another pastor who had gone through a hard time, and it was recommended to him. And the book just kind of gives some uh, red lights and green lights uh, a checklist, if you will. I think there's 15 or so on how to evaluate whether it's time to go, what's happening here and what's happening there. And for me personally, it was very helpful. I'd say it's more on the practical side. It's not going to do a biblical exposition of the pastoral ministry and God's called you here and you need to stay, you know, those type of things. It's going to look at trends and how things have been going in the church. But for me, it was very helpful. And when I did the checklist, so to speak, uh, I got like 73 or 75% go. It was like very, a very high percentage. And my wife did it and got, you know, pretty similar things. Now, we're not saying that this is the will of the Lord through the Holy Spirit of this book, but I think it's helpful because sometimes when you're going through those difficult times, your judgment can be clouded. Sure. And that's why I think it's important, like you said, have guys that you can talk to. Sure. Have men who you can say, hey, here's what's going on at church. Should I stay or should I go? Have you seen this? How do I work around this? Help me navigate this. Yes. Absolutely, and I and I, I would also say this to the the hurting pastor. Um, I I would encourage him that great men of God throughout all of biblical history and church history have had lows, have had dark days, valleys, um, and so it is not uncommon um, to to struggle with your calling or discerning God's will for you in in the the pressure cooker of pastoral ministry. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with you. This is part of the territory, and we endure hardship as, as good soldiers of Jesus Christ in many cases, but uh, I would encourage them with that. I would also have a word of encouragement for the churches, and I don't know where you want to take this conversation, Jared, but um, but maybe even before we conclude, how can churches bless their pastors uh, in ways to, to keep them? Yeah, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Um, maybe there are church members listening. We focused on the pastoral side, but yes. we want to reach church members who are thinking through, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, oh, wow, I, 
I don't even know what my pastor's going through right now, but there could be some tough stuff. And I I really appreciate him. And I I don't know how he's feeling and I I don't want him to go. Sure. How, How can churches and church members invest in their pastors to keep them for a longer tenure? Good. Good. I, I'm mindful of Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul explains that God has gifted to the church pastors, teachers. And so for the churchman, for the layman who is listening to this podcast, know that your pastor is God's gift to you and your church. And God has gifted you, pastors and teachers, for your equipping and for your maturation, your maturity there in Ephesians 4. And so consequently, I I think there are ways that you can put the golden handcuffs on your pastor. And by that, I don't simply mean financially, take care of your pastor financially, but there are are so many things you can do to to help him be successful. Of course, praying for him, I think we know that that's a given. Um, I'm always so blessed when um, a church member engages me about my preaching or teaching and says, hey, pastor, you, you said this, I heard this, um, that resonated with me, and they talked to me about that. That is so much more meaningful than simply greeting me at the door and saying, hey, good sermon. Um, but hey, this, this really impacted me and challenged me. That gives me the gratification and fulfillment that my ministry of the word is, is, is being um, helpful to them Yes. Um, of course, I, I mentioned praying, caring for a pastor financially, caring for a pastor's family, making investments in a, a pastor, whether it's resources for his library or conference opportunities and such. But uh, the return on investment that a church makes in their pastor shepherds um, will only circle back to benefit the, 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 the church. I'm blessed in my case uh, Fourth Baptist Church has showered me with love and encouragement and blessing. And in my days of, of discouragement or of need, of insecurity, um, there, are, there are folks that have just been so supportive and kind of me. And so I'm grateful for them, and I want to speak well of them and thankful, thank the Lord for them. It's, those are the golden handcuffs that keep me. So when I get the greener grass syndrome or the, the success syndrome, and I measure myself against others that's not wise, or when there are difficult circumstances, I, I'm strengthened by our church's care of me. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that healthy churches come from healthy leaders. And if our leadership isn't healthy, our church might not be healthy, sure. and we can have a part in helping our leaders to be healthy yes. and giving them what they need, whether it be financial or encouragement. I know when I was pastoring, I had a folder in my inbox entitled Encouraging Correspondences, uh, yep. and there were certain people who would write me emails or send me texts uh, and have a constant dialogue about sermons, oh, even even just down to like a joke I told, oh, that really made me, made me <laughs> laugh, or that sermon illustration hit home, or boy, this really stuck out to me, and that can be so helpful for pastors just to say, wow, people are listening, yes. and, and they're dialoguing with me. I listened to a podcast on the drive-in this morning, and they were talking about a, a related uh, related topic, and something they said really stood out to me. They said, if the people are far from God, no leader can save them. And it was talking about how so many times we put so much pressure on 
a high-powered visionary leader who's going to solve all the problems of the church. But sometimes we might need to look inside because we might be the problem. And I wrote down James 3.16, where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion in every vile, every vile deed. And we talked about already the, the anger and the conflict in the church. And when that's there, according to James 3.16, there's a lot of other stuff too. Sure. Sometimes the best way we can minister to our pastor is to take care of our stuff mm. and to be the church body to the rest of the body and take care of other stuff. Sure. Uh, if if you have a chance to listen to the podcast on anger with Dr. Ellen, we were talking about this very thing, about how to deal with angry people in the church. And he was noting how sometimes we just need to be what the body ought to be to those other people who are angry. We need to call them out. We need to Matthew 18 them and, and say, look, this isn't right. Do you recognize what this is doing? And not just set the responsibility for our church on our leadership. Yes, they do have a responsibility, but we're also a body as well. We have a responsibility to one another to take sure. care of stuff and, and, and our stuff because when one member is hurting, the whole body hurts. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the mutual care of the body for the body, the one another passages. Um, and, and again, that is the, the goal of pastoral ministry is to equip the saints to do that work of the ministry. So all of it doesn't have to go through the office of the pastor, mm. but whether it's deacons or whether it's other older men and women, godly men and women who are caring for one another, um, they can do so much of the work of the ministry as they're equipped. Yes. So are there any books that you've seen that you would recommend to church members who are approaching this from uh, the person in the pew position? We, we want to encourage our pastor. We don't want to lose our pastor. Uh, can you sure. point them to any resources? You know, I'm, I'm thinking of some of what Nine Marks has published uh, on healthy church. And I, I think as church members walk humbly with their God in the Spirit of God, controlled by the, the Spirit, faithfully exercising their giftedness within the church, um, I think um, it can be a beautiful relationship between pastor and people. Mm. And I am bullishly optimistic, stubbornly optimistic, that, um, that God's institution for this age, the local church, with appointed leadership, the, the eldership, the, the pastors of a church, can thrive. And, um, and so I look forward to that. I, I would recommend... Healthy Church, published by by Nine Marks, okay. um, and um, what it is to be a healthy church member, a companion book there mm -hmm. as yes. well. Yep, and I just wrote down one little, it's more of a booklet, or may, you might even think of it as a prayer guide. It's called Praying for Sunday by Michael Fabarez. Okay. You can pick it up online for, I don't know, 6 or $7, but it gives you prayer points, how to pray for your pastor during the week, during sermon prep, how to pray for the delivery of the Sunday morning sermon, how to pray for the Sunday worship and that the Holy Spirit would work. And I've, I found that helpful as well. Good. Good. So before we close our discussion, one question I like to end the podcast with is works of God. Are there any works of God that you would like to give thanks or praise for that he's done recently in your life or your family's life or in the life of Fourth Baptist Church or Central Seminary? Sure. Uh, thank you for that. I, you know, I need to pinch myself and slap myself to realize how God has blessed abundantly and has showed himself mighty in, in my life personally as, as with my family and our church. 
um, as, as I look back over the last couple of years, uh, the COVID years, uh, 2020, 2021, in all of the disruptions and all of the uncertainties, um, God has just sustained us through it all. And there have been consequences. Uh, there have been people that have fallen away. Um, I, I've done seven funerals already this year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those specifically a, a COVID funeral. There's been hurt. There's been consequence. There's been difficulty as, as we maybe cited at the beginning of this podcast. But God, God has proven himself to be faithful. He's met our needs. He sustained us. And I just, I give him all of the, the credit and the glory for that. It's, it's not the arm of the flesh that has sustained us, but it's his grace. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Pastor Matt, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. Think if Arius would have been a Central Seminary student, he would have been in a better in a better situation. I don't need to spend as much time in sermon prep. He said it takes ten years to get over where you went to seminary. So a good seminary, I think, will go out of its way actually to try to counter that elitism. It's easy to be critical. There's even an elitism that can develop. Uh, that seems to be almost uniquely North American. I'm not that smart. Because what we're doing is we're juxtaposing these two things that in scripture and in Christian history and in Christian experience are never juxtaposed. Uh, You're not going to be able to get that through more book study. I have to dwell in all these worlds. But he said, I view part of my my sermon prep as going to seminary. Do you have a a to-read shelf? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. I do, and it is haphazardly (laughs) stacked. Books can only take you so far. Every sermon I come to, I come to with a framework, a grid. Seminary is good at some things. It's actually not good at other things. Going to seminary isn't necessarily going to make you closer to Jesus. Seminary equals cemetery. You don't have to be the one that has to start a false religion. I know many very brilliant individuals who don't know God. Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast.